Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so, I am so thankful for the way you manifest in our worship songs and in the praise and the worship. And just in all of those songs today, your spirit is descending upon us. And I just call forth healing in the room. That, uh, that in the praise, you are enthroned. And when you are enthroned, you begin to touch. Uh, you touch the, the root issues. And uh, we call forth healing today. We call forth uh, that you are here today because the Lord wants to touch your life. And he wants to touch your pain. He wants to touch the places of hurt, the places of woundings. Even the places where, um, where the enemy has tried to have access, the Lord is strengthening those places. And I call forth that uh, the healing touch of the virtue of Jesus to come from your inside out and from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. The Lord is, the Lord is present here today for healing. And we call, um, just blessed is the name of the Lord. And uh, you're here Lord, to speak to the, the broken places as well in our life. This, this theme that you have for us today is a heavy one. And uh, as, as really many of the, these signs of the Spirit have been pretty heavy, as we look and see that uh, we need you. Uh, we don't need more willpower. We don't need more... Um, necessarily more knowledge we need we need more jesus and and uh, invading our souls in some ways the very way that john the baptist spoke when he said i must decrease but you must increase and we call that forth now as we look at your word together in jesus name amen we've been doing a, a study over these weeks just it began as just a few words that the Lord spoke to me at the beginning of the year. And then he just began to take me through um, all of the, the words that are called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And what I'm, what I'm presenting to you, and I believe the Lord is revealing to us, is that these are the signs of a supernaturally changed heart. They are not things that can be done by willpower. They are not things that are done just by having understanding or knowledge. This is where an exchange has to be made, where the Spirit of God changes supernaturally your heart. So these things come forth from your heart, not because you're hiding other things, but because this is a true expression of your heart changed by the Holy Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to look today. Somebody's got a bird. <laughs> Okay, I was thinking maybe it was the Holy Spirit as a dove. <laughs> maybe the dove was descending on us, which would be great. We'll take that. Amen. All right, so I'm going to have you. Uh, I'm going to have you read out loud. I love it when you read with me the Word of God. We're going to read sections of Ephesians four. We're going to deal with the ones that have specific today because we're going to talk about the sign of the Spirit of faithfulness. And so we're going to read these scriptures out loud. Will you read with me? As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if you indeed have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, the idea of faithfulness as a sign or as a fruit of the Spirit changing your heart comes from the, actually the literal word faith that what the Spirit produces in the heart of a believer that is yielded to the work of the Spirit is it produces a level of faith that is actually supernatural. That is a, a, a manifestation of the creative ability of the, of, the, uh, 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 of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. And it's, it, it manifests really in two ways, this faith. And we're going to primarily look at one of the aspects of it. But one of the ways that it manifests is that it makes you bold. It makes you courageous. It makes you willing to step outside of what you're comfortable with because you trust the one who's asking you to take the steps that he's asking you to take. It involves risk, and it involves the possibility of of failure or possibility of being wrong. There's something about faith that always has a risk element involved in it. But there are a lot of us that we like that part because we're adrenaline junkies, and we like the risk part, and we like the boldness part. There's others of you who are more shy, and you're a little less uh, needing to be the center of of attention like some of the rest of us. And so for you, the boldness and the courage and the risk-taking is maybe the hardest part about faith. But, but the, the fruit that the Spirit produces in us is more akin to the word faithfulness of in every way, from your private life to your public life, from your thought life to your words, and from your words to your actions, you're trustworthy. You can be counted on. That what you say, you do. When you say you're going to show up, you show up. That when you say you're my friend, you have my back. That when you say you're going to marry, you're going to marry for life. That when you say anything, it can be counted on. Now, it's easy if, if you think about it. It's easy for any of us in this room to say, hey, I want that in people in my life. But it's funny how we will give no one else a pass, but we'll give ourselves a pass. For example, uh, someone lies to you, they're a liar. You lie, well, it's complicated. I have my reasons. Or I deceive, or whatever it might be. And so it becomes essential that we begin to understand that 
that what is being formed in you and what is being asked of you is to become faithful. Where there's a, a truth to you that goes from your inner being to your outer being. Now, this isn't an easy thing. It's not a natural thing. I was watching a movie the other day that helped me, helped me at least frame this in my mind. There was a, a movie, it was kind of a, uh, one of these uh, independent film, romantic kind of things, and, and I'm watching this thing, and I don't like a single person in the movie. There's not a single one who's a hero. Everybody's an anti-hero, it seems like. But the, the lead in the movie is this guy, and, and he's, you know, he's pretty successful in his work, and he's, he's, he's kind of handsome in his own way, and he's, he's very good at speaking and, and stuff, and he lives in the city, and he's Mr. Hipster Cool. I don't know if he lived in Williamsburg, but uh, somewhere like that. So, so he does this thing, and they show it in the, the movie where he, he gets women to fall in love with him. And they fall madly in love with him, and they enmesh in his life, and he enmeshes in their life, and then he has a rule. At six months, he cuts it off, and he ends it. So you watch him. He's doing it again and again and again. And you know, after a while, I'm saying, this is a love horror story. <laughs> like, like one of those horror movies where you're going, look out behind you kind of thing. Whenever a woman gets in this path, you're like, look out, run, because this guy is horrible, awful, and he's going to break your heart. Well, the tables in the movie, the table gets turned, and he meets this woman, and he has this weekend of, of just being incredibly infatuated with her, and, and she just breaks him down, and he falls madly in love with her, and she disappears. And he's, he can't eat, he can't sleep, he can't work, he falls apart, he, he distances himself from all his friends, Everything in his life just stops because he's so madly in love with this woman that he can't stand it. And so he finds out where she is, and in front of her boyfriend and in front of all her friends and everything, he makes this huge grand gesture. Sorry to ruin the movie, but it's really not worth watching. Uh, so he makes this huge grand gesture, and he says, you know, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I need you so much, I love you, and I want to be with you. And he just, this huge romantic moment in front of everybody, you know, just makes a fool of himself for love. Or so you think. Except that the girl sees right through it. And she says, is that all you have? Because I need more than that. And I went, yes! <laughs> I can't believe there's a healthy person in this whole movie. <laughs> Because, you see, what's going on there is everything is about him. It's not about loving her, because love never fails. It's not about, it's not about her well-being or her good. It's only about the fact he can't eat, and he can't sleep, and because he, he can't live without her. It's all about him. And as soon as he stops feeling that way, he will stop pursuing her. And in many ways, the kind of love that he's saying he has for her is all dependent on her being extraordinary. 
she will have to produce those feelings in him every day to keep him interested because he's not faithful. Because when you pull his skin back, he's unfaithful no matter what he says. And all he wants is the thunder and the lightning. He does not want a partner for life. And what happens is many of us get caught up in the thunder and the lightning. We love the feeling of love, or we love the feeling, but we have no ability to be faithful. And we don't even, we're so deceived that we think when we're saying, I love you to someone, we actually mean it. When all we mean is, will you say I love you back? Because that's the only thing that matters to us. It is so much easier when we are not supernaturally changed. It is so much easier for us only to think of, what do you bring to this relationship for me? Now, the blessing of being a Christian, the blessing of being a Christ follower is this. God does not love us that way. The blessing is that God needs nothing from us. That he loves us for who we are, not what we bring to the relationship. That he loves us with an everlasting and unconditional love. And as a matter of fact, he himself has stated, and he proves it in every person's life, even if you are faithless, he is faithful. Because it's his character. It's his nature. He cannot deny himself. Once he has declared love for you, he will never run away from that love, no matter how difficult it might be in your life. Because when you run from him, he runs after you. See, this is faithfulness. Faithfulness is only found in the character of God. Fickleness is found in the human soul, not faithfulness. And if there is faithfulness in you, it is a manifestation that the very character of God, the very character of Christ, is now aligning itself with your character. So if I'm faithful, I can't say to you, oh, I'm faithful, and you go, oh, isn't that great? I can only say to you, I am in union with the faithful one. His faithfulness is now mine by faith. And I can live through life being faithful because of his presence. Now, that's the heart of this, that's the heart of this gift or this fruit of the Spirit. Now, I think there are two problems when you deal with, when you begin to deal with faithfulness, and it has to do with truth. Because in a, in a sense, you cannot have faithfulness. The heart of faithfulness is truthfulness. And ways that we characterize faithfulness, you could talk about integrity, you could talk about honesty, and all of these things. So there's, there's two problems that we face, and that's one is it's not easy to live in the truth. It's not easy to practice the truth. Sometimes the truth is very costly to us, especially if we have trained ourselves to deceive people. And most of us have trained ourselves to deceive people. That's how we got through school. Some of you were asleep with your eyes open. You know, you learned how. You, we learn at an early age. Some of us have lived double, triple lives. We've been one person to our parents. We were one person at our church. We were another person with our friends. When you have learned to be different people in different situations and circumstances, you have learned to deceive. 
You have learned to present yourself in a way that is not yourself. And then to hope that people will accept you or, or at least not disapprove or criticize you. So practicing the truth is not an easy thing. The other thing, and we'll look at this more next week, not this week, but we'll, what has happened with many people is they take the truth and they abuse people with the truth. They use the truth as a way to hurt people. And what Paul says in regard to the gift or the, the fruit or the sign of faithfulness is that when you are a faithful person, the truth is not about you. The truth you always use to encourage the other person, to build up, not to tear down, but to build up and to do it truthfully. As a matter of fact, many of us know this phrase really well. Paul is the one that made the phrase, you speak the truth in love. And so we're going to look at that more next week. This week, I want to talk about practicing the truth and about what does it mean biblically to be truthful. Last week, I pushed kind of hard on patience. I tested your patience on patience. And I, I, I had a, a statement that I said, biblical patience is the reality that we accept to say that we will only overcome evil with good. You can never overcome evil with evil. In the same way, it's, it's a, there's a simple there's a simple statement that Paul makes about, about being truthful. And basically it's this, I refuse to deceive people. Will you say that with me? I refuse to deceive people. All right, now, as soon as I say that, bells should go off. Because that means you have to be both truthful and honest. There are some of you around this room, and I, I could probably, if I spent a little time, I could tell you which one you are. There are some of you around this room that you never tell lies. You, just, you have, you have a, a sense of obligation to being truthful. So you, it, and if you were to tell a lie, you would, you would feel guilty and you would feel terrible right afterwards. But you hide all kinds of information. You would never intentionally tell a lie, but you hide a whole lot of truth. Now, there are others in this room that we're very open. I'm one of those. I'm very open. Pretty much, uh, I enjoy these Sunday mornings because they're therapy sessions for me, just to talk through my stuff with you, and uh, I don't even have to pay you an hourly wage to do it. You know, so I, I'm a very open, there's very few things in my life you ask me about. There are very few things that I wouldn't tell you everything about it and, and more than you want to know. Okay? But if you catch me in something, and I'm going to get disapproval, or you catch me in something, particularly when I was a kid, and you catch me in something, it's going to cause, I'm going to get punished. With a straight face, I could lie. And I had a good enough memory to remember what I lied, although that's exhausting to remember all your lies. I could remember what I lied so I could cover the lie with a lie. Because you can never defend a lie with the truth. You can only defend a lie with another lie. And after a while, you forget who you lied to and what lie you told them. And eventually, the corruption of that the corruption of that begins to be that you attract deceitful people to yourself. So on the one hand, you have people that are very, they're very truthful. They don't tell lies. On the other hand, you have people who are incredibly honest, but they can tell lies without even being insincere. Some of those are politicians. But uh, 
the ability to lie with it looking perfectly sincere is some people's way of dealing with life. And they would never say they're liars. They would never say they're liars. Now, this, this problem of being truthful is that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, and if you're going to live in the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is known as the Spirit of truth. So what he's going to do, if you're one of those who have a lot of hidden stuff and a lot of secrets and stuff you don't tell anybody and nobody knows you and stuff like that, he's going to make you incredibly uncomfortable with your secrets. And he's going to pressure you to be open and honest. He doesn't care that you don't lie. He cares about where you deceive. He's not interested in the fact that that somehow you can stand up and say, I never tell a lie. I'm George Washington or something. Because that's just, that's just flesh. That's just your flesh covering up for your sinfulness. Because when we hide stuff, when we have lots of secrets, what we're basically saying is, I don't trust anything or anybody. I can't trust anybody with my life. I can't trust anybody with my secrets. The same is true, though, of those of us who seem like we're real open and we say, oh, oh I, I have this issue, I have that issue. But yet when we get caught, we get trapped, we find that our word, our word means very little because we lie so easily. The, Lord's gonna, the Lord deals with salesmen and the Lord deals with those who are shy. The, door, the Lord deals with the aggressive and he deals with the, with the passive. And in either case, he has a curriculum to bring us to the place where if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be both honest and truthful. Now, life tends to knock out of you all kinds of false expectations and misplaced trust. And one of the things that happens is primarily, and if you're a believer, life is not going to go the way you expect it to go or the way sometimes you believe it ought to go. And it's going to be trying and testing to you. Well, one of the things to remember is that life does not produce what's in you. It only manifests what's in you. One of the ways to understand that is that Amy Carmichael used to use this illustration. She said, if you fill a cup with cool, sweet water, and you knock the cup over, you will not have poison come out of that cup because it got knocked over. When you knock the cup over and it contains sweet water, it will pour out sweet water. So when life knocks you over, when life tests your heart, what comes out of it is not produced by the bump. What comes out of it is what's already there. And in order for you to grow and to go to the next level in terms of your spiritual growth and for you to get to that place where you're living out of your supernaturally changed heart, the Holy Spirit has designed a curriculum to show you what's in that heart. Now, what happens to many of us is because we haven't learned to be truthful, when we see these things, we immediately excuse it, we deny it. There are even people... Strangely enough, there are people who say, well, if you're a Christian, you'll never be angry. I get angry at people who say that. <laughs> of course you're going to be angry, but what are you going to do with that anger? You know, are you going to hide it? You're going to deny it? You're going to call it righteous? 
Or are you going to look at it and say, why am I so angry? Do you know who some of the most easily offended people in the world are? Church people. Church people who should believe in prophetic, who should look at the Bible and say, God tends to say things I don't like, get offended just by the look on someone's face. I remember one time this guy called up and he said, I'm leaving the church. And I said, really? How come? He said, I didn't like the look on your face when we sang that hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah, there's that line in there, although the world with devils filled. I knew you were thinking of me. I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, I'm sitting there going, the look on my face told you that. And once, once he said it, you can't argue him out of it. And, and he didn't realize that said a whole lot about him. Because somehow he's wrestling with something. Now he needed someone to blame so he could leave. So he didn't have to deal with this stuff. And so he chose, instead of saying, oh, my cup got tipped over, poison comes out. He's saying, oh, the pastor tipped my cup over. So it's the pastor's fault that poison came out. And so it's, it, when, we, when we begin to get honest and truthful, you begin to see things about yourself that aren't the fault of other people and are not the fault of your circumstances. They are what is limiting you from your heart. Now, I mean, you can spend the rest of your life saying, oh, I, I didn't mean that or I, I, you know, I didn't really think that. But somehow, when something comes out of your heart, you have to take notice of it. I, 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 can, I can clearly tell you that most of us, when we're arguing with someone close to us, the enemy of our soul will give us ammunition. He'll give us accusations to speak about those people that we're, we're arguing with. But something in our heart resonates with those accusations. I, I can remember numerous times where Lisa and I, the arguments got out of control in terms of how hurtful we were to each other. And it was very much afterwards, you're, you're ashamed of what you've said or you're, you feel terrible about what you said. And so you try to take it back by saying, I didn't really mean that. But somehow my heart knew it enough that my mouth spoke it. So when, what I do is, is when stuff comes out of me that is ugly or stuff comes out of me that is, is not patient or stuff comes out of me that is not faithful, I ask why. Why is this showing up right now? Because I want to be faithful and I believe with all my heart the Spirit of God reveals these things to heal you, not to embarrass you. He does it to bring power over it instead of condemnation to put you under it. And so you begin to realize, here's where the faith of the supernatural heart has to come in and say, even what's going on in my life right now has a purpose, and the purpose is to bring me to the truth, to bring me into the light so that I can walk in fellowship with each of you. Because in the end, I really believe that If you strip everything away, what you're looking for, what I'm looking for, I'm looking for people I can count on. So I'm looking to be a person you can count on. That in in the long haul of life, it's not the lightning and the thunder. 
It's the every day knowing I can count on this. Since Since I've learned this, certain things have become far more precious to me. Like, I'll tell you the truth. It gives me incredible joy to see your faces here every Sunday. Because I know you don't have to be here. I know you could be somewhere else, but it, it is an amazing thing that I can count on so many of you that I see you and I just go, we really are a family. You know, we really, people make sacrifices to get here on Sunday and to be together. And when we worship together and we study God's word together, there's something special and unique going on. And the fact that I, I don't have to call you up Saturday night and say, are you coming? <laughs> Because what, what good would that be if I coerced you into coming? Then I still couldn't count on you. But the fact that by, in a sense, by covenant, because you're making a covenant with yourself, you're making a covenant with God that says, I want to be here. You make a difference for everybody around you. Because your dependability becomes something we can count on. In a world where there's not always that much to count on. Well, you know, if, I want to hit a few things here from this idea of particularly verses 14 and 15 that we read. There's a, he makes a clear contrast between speaking the truth and then being someone who's cunning or crafty or even deceitful. There, there, there are many of us that we know how not to lie, but we hide the truth in the sense that, you know, for example, you could, you could in a you know, someone's, says to you, uh, you know, did, uh, did so-and-so do this or that? And you, you, you can figure out a way to not, you know, not say what is true while not lying. You know, you, could, you can figure it out, but in, in your heart, you're going, oh, wait, that's kind of cunning. That's sort of deceitful. Uh, like, one of the things I, I had a problem with in my marriage is, People told me growing up, they said, you know, the best thing to do in a marriage is just ask forgiveness when you do wrong and never ask permission. Because it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. My wife hated that. Because after a while, I'm sorry means nothing if you're just going to do what you're going to do. And so I I had a, a cunning about me. Or a deceitfulness where I, I was basically saying this. I'm going to do whatever I want. I just want you to forgive me and like me. You can tell that's not love. But it's very hard to overcome cunning. It's very hard to overcome deceitfulness. Because usually the person who's deceitful is also deceived. And so what happens is Paul says, look you got to put away all of that stuff. You can't have any of it. And, and, and this is the heart of integrity. The word integrity is the same word that's used in math called integer. And an integer is a whole number that cannot be divided. When you have integrity, you have an undivided heart. It is not a heart that says with its mouth, praise you, Jesus, I love you, Lord, and then with your body says, I love everything else that's contrary to the word of God. That's a divided heart. A heart that says, I trust Jesus and I love anxiety. It's a divided heart. A heart that says, I'm angry all the time, but I love God. 
is a divided heart. And under tough circumstances, what will prove faithful is actually the anger or the anxiety. And so what Paul is saying, you know, lying is any untruthful word that deliberately tries to hide reality from the listener. This is tough stuff, and I, I was very convicted by this, this whole word of faithfulness because basically what Paul is saying is every single word you speak is a promise. Behind it is a purpose. So one of the things I, I looked at, one of the writers that I, I like a lot said there's these different kind of lies that we, we share with one another. They're polite lies. Yes, that dress does look good on you today. There's euphemism, where you say something nice and you really mean you suck. <laughs> There's exaggeration. And the writer that I was listening to said, Christians are really great at exaggeration. Like, come up to a, a brother or sister and go, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so blessed. And you're sitting there going, well, last week you were so depressed. And now you're so blessed, which is true. And that happened overnight. And there's some sense in which if all you ever do is exaggerate, no one can ever trust you. Another way that we, we, we lie is called, he calls it word inflation. And this is particularly in close friendships, in family, in marriage, we use word inflation. And it's very easy to pinpoint. When you get mad at a person, you say, you always or you never. Now think about, those are two nonsensical words. What is the purpose of those words? Let me hurt you right now. Let me, just, let me make you small. Let me show you how mad I am at you, how much you hurt me. And by word inflation, I will make sure that you never hurt me again. Now, the problem is, all you do is escalate with never and always. You don't get anywhere with them. They're, just, they're, they're intended to hurt, and they will not. There are people who enable one another with lies. The Bible says that a true friend is someone who's willing to wound you, but not willing to flatter you. His last one was Watergate lies. This might not be that meaningful to many of you, but it was funny to me because I grew up in the 70s. So uh, when Watergate came, what, what the, the kind of the company line was, we're doing this for your good. You would not understand. It's too sophisticated for you. And there are a lot of times as, as, as parents or leaders, people will say, we're doing something for good so the means don't matter. The end justifies the means is the idea. And yet, it's still a lie. If God needed lies to accomplish his purposes, then he would be Satan. Because Satan is the father of lies. So every time you think God needs you to lie to accomplish his purposes, the enemy has won. Because you're now of your father, the devil, Jesus said. He was the father of lies who has been sinning from the beginning. So every time we start saying, well, you know, the results are going to be worth what I've done. We believed a lie. Now, I know this is heavy, but can you stay with me on it? Okay, this is the last part of it. When we begin to realize, okay, Practicing the truth, being truthful means I reject and 
refuse to be deceitful, then we realize it's not just them being quiet. That the Spirit of God rises up in us and, and gives us power to make promises that then we fulfill in our faithfulness. For example, uh, you know, we live in a, in, a, in a time where people have no idea what a covenant even is. In the Old Testament, a covenant was something that was cut with blood. Because when you made a promise, you took upon yourself both the blessings of the promise and the curse of the promise. So that there would be bloodshed so that you would know the weight of what you just did. As a matter of fact, the word in Hebrew is cut, to cut a covenant. You think about that. That's serious. Most of us, we enter into agreements and we're like, if it happens, it happens. If not, it doesn't. And oftentimes, we often say, please be merciful. I I couldn't fulfill this. So, you know, just be nice to me. And instead of thinking in terms of the weight of the words that we've spoken, can I... I want to give you a quick reminder. Do you ever see that commercial where those little kids were going to Disney World? There's a great commercial. It was years ago, but they were going to Disney World, and the little boy and the little girl, neither of them can sleep because they're so excited about going to Disney World. And their parents say, you got to go to sleep. We're going to Disney World tomorrow. But I can't sleep. I'm so excited. And the, and the dad tries to go to sleep, and the mom says, are you asleep? He says, no, I'm so excited about going to Disney World. <laughs> Okay, so it's a beautiful, it's a great commercial. Makes you want to go to Disney World watching it, you know. But here's the deal. What if the dad gets up the next morning, gets a phone call and says, you got to go to work, you can't go to Disney World. After a night of not sleeping, of anticipation, of expectation, and then all of a sudden, all that promise is gone. You know what most dads say? I'll make it up to you. You know the reality? You never make it up. You never get the moment back. When you make a covenant, when you make a word with somebody, they may forgive you, but from then on, there's a sense in which I will never anticipate with that anticipation again. I can never expect from you again because you told me and you didn't do it. I was up all night excited and then it didn't happen. Do you understand what that does to the soul? especially when it's a child. Many of us have had that happen to us. And so our world is jaded. Our our defense is skepticism. Our fear is commitment. So many people live together and they choose not to get married because they're afraid. They say that they think it's more sensible, but it's not. It's not more sensible. It's fear. It's fear. People attend places but never really join, never really enter in, never really put their lot with another group of people. Part of it is because people are afraid they're going to cut down their options. Oh, I'm going to be sleeping with the same person for the rest of my life. As if the only thing that matters is sexual fulfillment. If I make promises, I will lose my freedom. Well, I think the exact opposite is true. I think that when you make promises and you fulfill the promises, you're the freest person in the room. I think when you make promises, what you do is you you begin to determine your future. I've made a promise to my wife. I've not been perfect in keeping it, but I've made a promise that, that until I die, she is the only woman for me. 
And so it has made all the difference in terms of the certainty of my future. I know who my wife is. I know who my family is. I know what my future is. It's with her. Makes all the difference in the world. Well, I want you to, I want you to hear this philosopher. It's a Christian philosopher. I want you to hear what he has to say about making promises. Because I believe that you are noble people. I believe so much potential in each of you and so much good in you. Here's what he says, and, and, and some of this in the first part is a little highfalutin language, but all he's saying is, I'm not going to allow DNA and I'm not going to allow nurture to determine who I am. This is what he says. When I make a promise, I bear witness that my future with you is not locked into a bionic beam by which I was stuck with the fate fateful combinations of X's and Y's in the hand I was dealt out of my parents' genetic deck. When I make a promise, I testify that I was not routed along some unalterable itinerary by the psychic conditioning visited on me by my slightly wacky parents. When I make a promise, I declare that my future with people who depend on me is not predetermined by the mixed-up culture of my tender years. I am not fated I am not determined. I am not a lump of human dough whipped into shape by the contingent reinforcement and aversive conditioning of my past. When I make a promise to anyone, I rise above all the conditioning that limits me. No German shepherd ever promised to be there with me. No home computer ever promised to be a loyal help. Only a person can make a promise. And when he does, he is most free. See, I love this. That's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is when you look inside of a person, there's no divided heart. There's one purpose. There's one direction. Every promise that you make will come true because you are that kind of person. And the only reason it's true is because that's the way God is. And see, I absolutely trust His promises And I desire today, we've got our prayer team up here. We're going to sing a song together. I desire today that you would make commitments to God, that you would make promises to God, that you would make promises that you will fulfill, promises out of your faithfulness, promises out of your your heart cry for him, that you you would not settle for anything less than to be the most committed person in this room because he will be faithful to you. His promises are all yes and amen. And you know how I know that? Because the most difficult promise of all he kept when he decided he would give his own son to die on a cross for our sins. If he keeps that most difficult promise, there isn't another promise he will not keep. I ask you to do this. Some of you, you, you're here as couples, you're here as families. I'd love for you to come up and pray and say, we commit again as a family. Make this a day of recommitment. If you're, if you're getting married, you want to get married, come up and pray with someone today. Even if it's just this sense, I want to be that kind of person that Mike's talking about, who's, who's being truthful. And maybe you need to confess some areas of deception, some areas of craftiness and cunning, whatever it is. But today that you'd open up your heart, it's a safe place here at the altar. Gabriel, you'll lead us.